0: And now, a special presentation of Faith Fit Radio with your host, Glenda Meekins. Welcome to Faith Fit, and thanks for joining me. I'm Glenda Meekins, and with me today is the dynamic deacon himself, calling from the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Welcome, Deacon. Thank you for being on our show today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, uh, truly an honor and a pleasure to be with you today.
0: Deacon Harold is an author, renowned radio host and speaker, and today he's going to speak to us about our call to make disciples. So, Deacon Harold, this really is, you know, the heart of the church's mission, our call to grow the kingdom of God and be an active part in the salvation of the world. You know, this is really evangelization, you know, a subject that makes a lot of Catholics really uncomfortable and kind of gets them out of their comfort zone so, what do you have to say to those that say evangelization is a Protestant thing?
1: Well, I think people are confusing evangelization with proselytization. Uh, I think that's that's the, 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 we have to understand a key difference. Proselytization is when you are actively, almost forcing someone to uh, convert to your faith. You know, um, whereas evangelization is simply sharing the faith and love you know, sharing uh, our belief in Jesus Christ as the, the, the Savior of the world uh, with everyone that we meet. And the primary way of evangelization is by how we live. Hmm. So, you know, we're all—those of us who are baptized, you know, we, we are baptized into Christ's death, we share in His uh, his life, death, and resurrection, which means we also share in His mission. And at the end of Matthew's Gospel, uh, Matthew t- chapter twenty-eight, nineteen, he says, "'Go and make disciples of all nations.'" Um, and so by our baptismal call to holiness, we're called first to be holy, because God says, you know, be holy as I am holy. And by that powerful witness of holiness, when we live in according with the teachings of Jesus Christ and the Catholic faith, then we have the impetus to go and—all we're doing is simply sharing our love for our faith with other people. It's not getting in someone's face, it's not staying on a street corner shouting, it's not any of that. It's simply what uh, Paul says in Ephesians four fifteen. it's sharing the truth and love. But it's something that we, that we have to do. We just can't keep the faith to ourselves. Jesus didn't keep the faith to himself. You know, it, it's something to be shared. It's something that, that needs to be spread. And I think it's going to be the impetus for reconciliation, for conversion, and for healing in our world today.
0: Hmm. You know, it's really like that song, right? They'll know we're Christians by our love. Um, many years ago, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops put out a booklet um, entitled, Go and Make Disciples. And they talk about why Catholics should evangelize. And they say, The Lord gave us a reason to evangelize, our love of every other person, whatever his or her situation, language, physical, mental, or social condition. Because we have experienced the love of Christ, we want to share it. Just as you, you know, just said, this obviously refers to the body of Christ worldwide, but it also implies that we have experienced the love of Christ. In other words, we can't really first become disciples without having a relationship with Christ. Can you expand on that for us a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. So so say you're um, in a relationship with somebody you care for deeply. Maybe you're considering marrying the person. Are you just going to Keep that to yourself. Are you not going to tell your parents? Are you not going to tell your friends? Are you not going to? T- of course, you're going to tell people about it. So if we're in love with Jesus and we're in love with our faith, as we say we are, don't we want to then share that with everybody that we meet? Or are we going to want to just you know just let everybody know the joy of the encounter that we have with this person? Of, of course. I mean, so so why wouldn't do the same thing with our faith? I, I think people uh, also sometimes confuse or conflate knowing the faith with sharing the faith. Hmm. Because they, they think, like, if I share my faith, the people are going to ask me questions. And I don't know the answer <laughs> to the question, so I just won't say anything. You know, it's not about uh, how much you know. It's uh, in your head, it's about how much you, you know in your heart. And I'll just give a, a, an example of that. I remember uh, when I first moved to Oregon, I had a, uh, I was working in Salem, which is the capital of Oregon, about an hour south of Portland. And it was wintertime. And it, so it gets, and especially in this part of the country, it gets dark hmm. pretty early uh, in the wintertime. And so I was being a gentleman, walking the administrative assistant to her car, and we walked by my car, and there was a rosary hanging from the window. And now this, this young lady, very nice young lady, she was baptized, but that's it. No other catechesis, didn't go to church, no confirmation, no First Communion, nothing. Just kind of a ritual baptism. So she goes, hey, that, that's a rosary, right? I said, oh, yeah. She goes, that's the thing with all the Hail Marys on it? Yeah, you want to see how it works? So I reached into the car, and I pulled out the rosary, and I showed it to her. She goes, why do you do that? Ah, see? Now, that I, I, I took that as an invitation uh, through the Holy Spirit to share the faith with her. Now, what did I do at that point? Did I give her the history of the rosary? Did I talk about the theology of the rosary? No, she's not interested in that. She wanted to know why I prayed the rosary. See, personal. Why do I do it? And I, showed, I just told her, mm-hmm. I said, look, all I'm doing is I'm reflecting on the mysteries of our salvation, of our Lord Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection through the heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I just started going through, for example, joyful mysteries. I just kind of explained uh, connecting each of the joyful mysteries to our life every day and how we're... so we spent an hour standing wow. there talking about that, and now— Years later, she sent me a Facebook uh, message thing. You know, uh, messages through a Facebook thing, and so a she, post, yeah. she, um, oh, that was like because I had left that job. I, I started working as the uh, uh, director of public safety at the University of Portland. So, and then I left that job and started speaking and writing full time. So this is over ten years. So she saw me and she wrote me a note. She reminded me who she was. And she goes, you know, you know, you were instrumental on my journey back to the church. I had no idea she came hmm. back and she came back to the Catholic Church. That's but she powerful. said your your love for the church was always inspiring and thought provoking. Mm-hmm. Notice not your knowledge of the church, your love mm. for the church. That and that's what we need to focus on. Uh God, the greatest commandments Jesus gave us, he summarized mm-hmm. them love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's really what discipleship and evangelization is really all about.
0: You know, you, you brought me right to my next point, which is I constantly hear people say, but I'm not qualified to evangelize. You know, and in all reality, we're all qualified through our baptism, right? I mean, the, the bishops say, uh, again, in that um, go and make disciples, it says, the Spirit, the first gift of the risen Christ to his people, Gives us both the ability to receive the gospel of Jesus and in response, the power to proclaim it. And I think that we forget that the same gift that the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit that was given at Pentecost and empowered the disciples and all those gathered to proclaim that word, has been given to us in baptism, enlivened in our confirmation, and with every Eucharist we receive. I mean, doesn't our baptism qualify us?
1: Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. And and, and that's really one of the... the, Obviously, baptism brings us into... It kind of initiates us on the journey of faith. Hmm. You know, if you're climbing the mountain of life, baptism is what gets us started on our journey uh, up the mountain of life. But the way I think about it also is like this. When we think about evangelization and discipleship, uh, the the first evangelist and disciple was the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hmm. And think about this for a second. So Angel Gabriel comes to her, Tells her what God wants to do in her life. She he, she asks a qualifying question. He and wait and he waits for her answer. He he answers the question and waits for her to respond. She says yes. Then what's the very first thing that she does? She goes to see her kinswoman Elizabeth. That was her first impulse hmm. to take Jesus out. So think about this. We received the, the, the our Lord Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul and divinity, most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist. And so in a sense, we're pregnant, like hmm. Mary was, because we have Christ within us for those 30 minutes till the host dissolves. But then, what's, what's the first thing we do? We, we leave the church, and we go out. The deacon kicks you out the end. Get out of here. Go and uh, announce the gospel of the Lord. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Get out of here. You just received Jesus. Now go be Eucharist to the world. And so I think Mary is the one that really gives us that example of how we what I call, living Eucharistically. Hmm. So it's not just showing up a punch in the clock every Sunday, it's receiving the Eucharist that strengthens and nurtures those gifts that we received in baptism and confirmation, and two of the three sacraments that leave a permanent mark on the soul. And the soul, just like the body needs to be fed, the soul needs to be fed. And it's through that feeding that, gives the, the, that your body gets energy, and so our souls receive that in a sense of spiritual energy to go out and to live our Catholic faith with passion and conviction in a world that very, very much needs our witness and example today. And so, so again, people shouldn't be worried about how much I know about the faith. Especially now, there's no excuse. I mean, there are so many uh, different ways that people can get access to different things in the faith. I mean, I listen Mm -hmm. to podcasts. Uh, I travel 180,000 miles a year, and I'm in airports and on planes all the time and I'm listening to podcasts, I'm, I'm reading books, I'm deepening and strengthening my faith all the time. And there's simple things that people can do to, um, you know, especially if they have a, a family member that's fallen away. How do you engage and talk to that person in love without, you know, getting to those, you know, those arguments like, every Thanksgiving, everything's fine until you start talking about religion and politics? <laughs> crash and burn, you know? Uh, so, I, so I think effective evangelization is about meeting someone where they are with the goal of not winning an argument, not getting angry, not get, but how do I get this person to want to listen to more of what I have to say?
0: Hmm. Well, and you, I love that you brought up the Virgin Mary and um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about, I believe that you have a movie that has come out this year on the rosary. You want to tell us a little bit about that? I mean, it's not your movie, you're in it or part of it. right. But... Right. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's called uh, Power in My Hands, and it's 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 by the uh, Rosary Evangelization Apostolate out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And um, when they approached me and Father Donald Calloway and Jeff Cavins and a number of other people he partners, it was originally a documentary. Hmm. It was just going to be sim- a simple documentary that was going to be released on DVD. But then during the filming, over, over the course of a couple of years, they decided that— um, and given what's going on in our world and our times, they decided to turn it into a full-length feature film. Hmm. And, so, and so next thing I know, uh, in fact, last month it, it debuted here in Portland, Oregon, at, at, a, at a massive theater uh, the, what's called the Lloyd Center. And, and um, I was out of town, but my family went and, you know, they saw themselves up on the—because they filmed at our house. They followed me around for two days. Wow, and, um, that's amazing! And, and show quite a bit of footage, I guess. So I haven't seen it yet, but <laughs> I've been traveling. But, um, yeah, so but but I think that's important. I think again, see how how the church is starting to use these modern technologies and movies and radio. I mean, the expansion of Catholic radio is unbelievable. A twentieth-century a technology is really um, kind of leading the the, 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 the fore as on the forefront. Of the new evangelization for the 21st century, that's that's pretty impressive. Never mind things like Catholic Answers, EWTN, and um, all the wonderful things that are that are out there that people can get access to information to, to uh, learn and to grow their faith. And so the movie is just another vehicle to talk about the Rosary, to talk about um, when people are looking for how can I, what can I pass on to my kids? How can we overcome these challenges in our life? How can I take my faith to that next level? And the rosary, in that sense, really is a, a tool for evangelization. So that I think the movie is just trying to get that across.
0: Well, I love that the movie really also talks about meeting you where you are on your journey, people that are in all kinds of different situations, right? And it really applies to our everyday life. Um to make disciples, we first have to become one. We have to live as one, and then we can make one. We can't. We can't be. We can't give something that we don't have. And so, what does this living every day as a disciple look like? You did give you know an example. For example, of uh, you gave an example of when you were walking uh, the administrative assistant to the car. Um, I know that you used to be in law enforcement. What what can we do in our everyday workplace, uh, in our parishes, and all over? I think sometimes people limit the idea of evangelization to ministry in parish life, but really it's much broader than that.
1: Sure. It has to, it has to encompass every aspect of our life. You, you just can't come to church and be Catholic on Sunday mm-hmm. and it's be somebody else the rest of the week. Uh, that, that you have to incorporate it into your life every day. So people are sometimes uh, afraid to do. It. I'm not sure how to do that. Very simple ways. You don't have to be overtly Catholic in your face, but again, by your witness and example. So for example, when I travel uh, as a permanent deacon, I typically don't wear clerics like the priests do, but mm. I do wear a crucifix with a miraculous medal, and sometimes that generates. Uh, you know, I, I wear it publicly, un, un, unashamedly, and. Um, sometimes that generates comments. Uh, most of them good, some of them not so good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's opportunity. It's opportunity. That's an op, that's an evangel. That's a, an evangel, a, evangelizing witness.
0: Yeah, a Conversation. Yeah.
1: You know, uh, not that I'm trying to generate conversations. Just that I, I'm not a, afraid or ashamed to be Catholic. I mean, when I travel, you see, you know, the the Hasidic Jews wearing their, uh, you know, wearing their suits and they they have the the, the tassels and stuff like that, and you see the. The Muslims and the Hindus were in their stuff, and we shouldn't be afraid to, you know, that's their witness, and we shouldn't be afraid to witness either. You know, I'll give you an example like law enforcement. So when I was working at the university, I didn't, when I got there, I did not want the officers that were working under me to treat our students as perpetrators, right? Mm. So I said, hey, this is the model that we're following. This is a Catholic university, this Catholic university has a mission. So what I want to do is tie everything we do into the overall mission of the university. So here's going to be our approach. These students are here to get a quality education. They're going to learn in the classroom. But these are also young adults, 18 to 21-year-olds, whose adult clothes are still too big for them. Hmm. So they're going to spend these four years trying to fit into their new adult clothes. So when they try to do that, you know, it's not going to fit right. They're going to make mistakes. So we need to be teachers in the classroom of real life. So when they make a mistake, when they drink too much, when they when they do stupid things, which they're going to do, <laughs> then we need to say, you know what, right now, it's always better to tell the truth than to lie. You know, it's always better to accept responsibilities for your mistake and your poor judgment and deal with it now before you leave this place and if you make a mistake in the real world it's gonna cost you a job, a marriage, a reputation, a career. Mm-hmm. See? So so that's how I wanted my officers, not to baby them of course, but just to, to hold them responsible and to learn that this is this is how the real world works. And and so our approach was was uh, was different than just like cuffing them and that all that kind of stuff, you know. So um so I and I, I think that approach has worked very well. Uh, the students responded very positively to the way that we were uh, again we're holding them responsible, but also showing them um, that that we're helping them in these in these teachable moments to be witnesses and examples of love and of mercy, but of ultimately of, of being held responsible. I think you know an approach like that, for putting a holy card on your desk, or you know. Um, just acts of kindness, random acts of kindness. You know, uh, going if there's a buffet at work or a party, you know, going last in line to get the food, or making sure that um, you know uh, that everyone has everything that they need, or just just simple things like saying, you know, if um, uh, you know, someone taking someone to lunch as a, a way of thanking them for something they may have done for you. Just simple things like that um, gives that witness an example. Of, of how we're supposed to be that evangelizing witness for christ in the world
0: it's that everyday small gesture you know um one of the things that that people tend to do um and this is a good thing you know when they're becoming disciples or they're in the process they're they're living out their discipleship a lot of us get involved in in ministry at church so we're we're working on it in the secular world as well as witnesses to our children to our peers to our co-workers but then we also have the ministries of the church that help us you know, in those live out that, that discipleship. And one of the things that um, I'd come across in, in uh, Sherry Waddell's book, Becoming a Parish of Intentional Disciples, she talks about being transformed to be more like Christ. And she says something really interesting. She says, transformation begins with a question. Questions like, who do you say that I am? Whom shall I send? And she says that we'll never develop a missionary culture by asking maintenance questions. So one of the right questions she refers to um, that I love is, how can we create opportunities for individuals to encounter Jesus Christ and experience conversion through this event or ministry? What tips can you give um, parishes and parish ministries um, about making sure that they're fulfilling Christ's call to make disciples with the ministries that they are leading?
1: Yeah, so I think the approach needs to be a, a both-and, not an either-or. So, for example, if if you're working in a St. Vincent de Paul conference in your parish, so you have some kind of ministry where you're doing outreach to the poor, um, it's not just about their corporeal needs, you know, making sure they have food and clothes, which is good. I mean, think, think about Jesus in John chapter 6, for example. So he feeds the 5,000, and once they're fed, then he begins... Uh, the the, the, uh, the Discourse on, the Bread of Life Discourse. I am the Bread of Life, because, you know, it, five of man men in the desert. So mm-hmm. once they're fed bodily, he then begins to feed them spiritually. And so there can't be a disassociation in the parish between, okay, this is my job, this is what the job description says I'm supposed to be doing, but there always has to be a connection back mm-hmm. to feeding people spiritually, intellectually, you know, if you're doing RCIA, you, people need to know the faith but it interesting, in Hebrew, there's two words for knowledge. There's da'af, and da'af means factual knowledge, but there's also a word ya'udah. Ya'udah means knowledge that's gained by experience. You have to mm-hmm. experience something in order to know it. So there has to be that connection between whether you're imparting intellectual knowledge, whether you're feeding people, no matter what you do in your parish, there has to be that, that, uh, that hinge and that connection with, um, with that evangelizing message, feeding people spiritually as well. Um, and as long as you're doing both of those things together, I uh, think you'll have an effective um, means of evangelization. And I also want to say this, you know, we're losing a lot of kids uh, mm-hmm. in the culture today because they're not making the transition between my parents' faith and my faith that I now appropriate from my parents uh, and, and from a uh, uh, Bible study and, and confirmation, and, all, and, and it becomes my faith that I now own. Hmm. Um, and, and, and the problem is is that, fortunately, because parents are so poorly catechized, they are not passing on the faith to their children. Instead, they're outsourcing that responsibility to the parish. Hmm. So, oh, the faith, yeah, I'll drive you to soccer, I'll drive you to baseball, I'll drive you to football. But, you know, when it comes to your faith, you know, father will do it, confirmation class will do it, youth group will do it, Catholic schools will do it. Now, those are wonderful institutions, but they're supposed to be there to uh, support what's supposed to be going on at home. Because St. John Paul II called the home the domestic church. That's where people learn to fall in love with Jesus. That's the first evangelizing witness is in the home. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have that, um, then the the kids are going to say, I'm learning all this stuff in the parish, but when I go home, I don't see it being lived out. And if it's not important for them, then why should it be important to me? And mm-hmm. so yet, and it sounds like I'm putting a lot of burden on the parish. That's right. That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> be- because um, you can't, it's not the parish's responsibility to keep our kids Catholic. It's not. It's the parents' responsibility supported and nurtured by the parish community and by the church community. But ultimately, it's, it's about a relationship of love and life mm-hmm. and intimacy and communion. And that's supposed to start what St. John Paul II called the domestic church, the church of the home. And so uh, I think parishes are well served to reconnect these parents also back to their faith so it could be lived out at home. So one way to do that, very simple way, is when the kids are going through First Communion preparation, going through Confirmation preparation, there's a parallel program for parents. So that they're also relearning their faith, and so that uh, when they go home, everybody is learning and growing spiritually together.
0: Well, and I love that—that that, you know—that's a perfect opportunity to ask those non-maintenance questions, right? Those reflection questions that really draw you into deeper responses to understand why you believe, what you believe, what brought you to the faith. That. That whole idea of knowing your story, your conversion story, your spiritual journey story, so that you can share it and start by sharing it at home with your children to be that living witness. So
1: Yeah, let me give an example. Just a couple of very simple examples that we did in our house. When one thing that we do, we have to sit around a dinner table. I would read the gospel for the coming Sunday. Hmm. And so and just talk about it. So it wouldn't be like exegesis, like, oh, what is this word meaning Greek? And what's the you know? No, no. <laughs> OK, here's. The, the gospel for the coming Sunday, what's Jesus doing? W- what's going on here? Why does he say this? What does this have to do with our life every day? We just have a discussion. So what did that do, though? So now when the kids went to Mass on Sunday, they're not hearing the gospel for the first time, and now they're listening to the homily. Ooh, I wonder if Father's going to talk about what we talked about. <laughs> you know, and they're automatically more engaged. The other thing that we did, we would bring religious to the house, priests, nun, mm-hmm. have dinner. And they could talk about their vocation, how they heard God's voice, and why they're wearing what they're wearing, and you know what does it all mean. And so the kids can see the Benedictines wearing a habit, or a friars wearing their habit, or a sisters wearing her clothes. You know, um, what the, that, that out that outward sign speaks to a deeper reality? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and so to make those connections for the kids, just to, just to expose them to to uh, uh, to different aspects of the faith was uh, again simple i mean you know um different ways of living it it out pretty pretty effective exactly exactly Mm.
0: well we are running out of time but i would love to ask you deacon Harold. would you kindly close us in prayer today
1: sure Uh, father and the son the holy spirit amen lord we thank you for this day we thank you for the gift of uh life we thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to sh- come together to share our faith, to share the truth of our faith and love. Lord, we ask you to send us the Holy Spirit. Uh, we received that Spirit in baptism, received that Spirit in-, in confirmation. Lord, we ask you to, to stir the life of your Spirit within us. We, we ask you, Lord, to give us a desire to share the truth of our faith and love. Lord, give us, give us the, the courage and the desire to let people know about you uh, by the witness of our life. May we be signposts along the journey of faith so that when people see us and people see the way we act, that their hearts and their minds are drawn to deeper relationship with you. Uh, Lord, let us not be stumbling blocks on the road to uh, to salvation. Instead, of, let us be like the Blessed Virgin Mary, humble signs and witnesses of the power of your love in the world. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, Deacon Harold.
1: Yes, it's a a tremendous pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much.
0: Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers will be speaking at St. Matthew Catholic Church in Winter Haven, June 9th through the 13th, on our call to make disciples. For more information on the conference, call 863-324-3040. You can hear more from Deacon Harold on Mater Day Radio or by going to DeaconHerald.com. This is Glenda Meekins from FaithFit. Thanks for tuning in.